It's Europe Calling. You're listening to Vince Tracy, Neil Cole. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. So, a very good day. Welcome to everybody, the 23rd of August, 2022. So, Europe calling from a very hot, once again, very hot Costa Blanca. It is probably about 30-odd degrees, 32, 33, something like that. Having been up in the cool of the Basque Country all week, um, coming back down is, um, I won't say a shock to your system because you know what's going to happen, but it is certainly a lot warmer. Let's get across to Neil and find out whether or not uh, you're finding it hot where you are. Neil, good morning to you and what's your weather like? Morning, Vince. Uh, well, it's the first time in weeks and weeks we've got a little bit of cloud here. Oh. I mean, it's still hot, hot. It's 30 degrees but we've got a bit of cloud it's not that searing heat you know when it nips in and out you know in the clouds over the clouds but uh yeah it's the first time we've seen any any clouds for months right yeah. but it's all right it's lovely it's lovely today well having had a nice week up in the basque country and in france in the french basque country the weather has been uh, certainly a lot nicer and uh, more digestible. Um, did you watch the football last night? Oh, yes. Obviously, I always watch the football. You know you know what me and you are like. We can't not watch, no matter who it is. <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> I think it was on the cards. Manchester United had to come good. You can't spend that sort of money and have the likes of Ronaldo sitting on the bench and not have a few decent games during the season. So I wasn't actually surprised because we've got about 12 really high-profile injuries and it makes me wonder whether or not um, they're training too hard because, quite frankly, um, it, we had the same last year, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, Liverpool last night were exactly the same as, Uni as United were the last game. They felt they looked lethargic as though nobody would give a damn, or you know, there were no there were no fire in the bellies. No. And yet United come out last night chasing everybody down, running like madmen all over the pitch. You know, so that you know, we it was like a, a complete reversal from from you know the week before. Yeah. Anyway, good luck to them. You know, yeah. good luck to you. Lot of them. Yeah, and of course, uh, we still have um, many good games to go. Three games down, and we've got two points. I don't think Klopp will be too happy about that. Anyway, let's find out what we got to talk about this week as we start our Europe calling for today. Okay, so things that I've spotted, obviously, um, avidly watching everything. <laughs> no, not during the week. But I did spot a couple of things. Start you with this one. Police officers faced a backlash over the weekend for joining in with the performance of the Macarena at a Pride Festival, as critics accused them of not taking their jobs seriously enough. Uh, now, this, of course, was during the week, and locals reacted with fury after multiple posts were made showing on-duty officers having fun on Lincolnshire's police's social media accounts from the festival, including the video of officers dancing. The concerns were reinforced by Susan Hall, chair of the Police and Crime Committee of the Greater London Authority, who told uh, the Mail Online was the paper I saw this uh, article in, we should not have uniformed police doing the Macarena when they should be doing their jobs. But it was by no means the first instance of uniformed officers on duty getting involved with the festivities at major events. Um, 
Other instances include five officers were branded a disgrace for performing a TikTok-style dance in crime-ridden Edmonton, a lip-syncing policeman moving to a steps hit at Brighton Pride in 2019, and PC Daniel Graham entertaining carnival-goers at the Nottingham Hill Festival in 2017. Neil, what do you think about all this? Well, yeah, here we go. Um, well, I mean, they're on duty to make sure that there's no trouble there. Yeah, that's yeah. what they're there for. Or if it's a if it's a, a, a pride parade, yeah. they walk along with it. So you know, it's not like they, they should be looking for a burglar. You know, about three streets away or whatever. They they set out to go and make sure that there's no trouble at the festival. Yeah. So if they want to join in with a little bit of a dance, there's hundreds of gay uh, police. Uh, police officers, you know, let them just join in and have a bit of fun. There's no big deal in that, is there? They're not harming anybody, you know. Oh, okay, I have I a very, I, I do have a difference. for it, you know, just having a bit of fun on, no. on a thing where they're just making sure the parade's all right. Okay, so do we, um, do we not have a professional duty to actually make sure? I mean, don't forget. The idea of these guys being there is not to go and do what everybody else is doing, which is basically enjoying the parade, etc. Uh, if, for example, while they're dancing, somebody next door but two is being pickpocketed, or if somebody is you know, doing the sort of things that, uh, unfortunately, people do seem to want to do while the police are busy. Personally, I think it's totally unprofessional. I think that it makes the police look as stupid as the people who are dressing up and looking stupid. That's what the, a lot of them um, are there, basically, to look stupid. So why join in looking stupid if you're a policeman? You're not in fancy dress. The uniform kind of gives it away for me. Yeah, I get, I get where you're coming from with that. But as I say, they're, they're designated to go and make sure of public safety or whatever it is on, on a parade. And if they want to just dance along with music, like if, if, if we're out on a night and we stood having a drink at bar and one record comes on that we used to have a dance to or whatever, then you just, you know, I, I don't see there's a massive big hoo-ah about it, really. You know, and I get where you're coming from with the police being professional, but the professional part of it is to keep everybody in check, you know. It's it to me. It's a little bit like school, you know. A lot of the school teachers they try to curry favour with the kids by being their mates. We're not there to be the mates of school children. We're there to teach them, and part of the teaching is to try and teach kids that there's a line that you don't cross. Now I think that the police have crossed the line. They are now not policemen. They are young officers but not on duty sorry there's a difference when you're on duty you do things differently and i think that's one of the big things that's going wrong with society in general i mean look um there is nothing wrong with going and having a dance okay that's great but being a police officer you have to you have to have the respect of people and if you're being there trying to be matey with them, you then find it more difficult to become the officer that has to tell somebody you're doing something wrong, stop it. I, I think that that's particularly um, not the time you should be dancing and showing, uh, showing off your moves that, that you do when you're off duty. That's my take on it. Right, yeah. That's, I mean, th there you go. I mean, as I say, yeah, the, the professional part about it, yeah. But as I say, if you're designated to keeping everybody in check and this, that and the other, and a bit of music comes on and you shake your beauty for two minutes or whatever it is, then fine. I'm, you know, I haven't got a problem with it. You know, as long as there's not a major case going on down the road and they're still dancing away, you know. No, you know, that's not right. All right. OK, so we'll go off to our next one then. Let's see what we've got for number two.
Okay, just a little screen difficulty there for a second or two as we look at a millionaire next. And it's a millionaire who grew up on a council estate before founding his own property empire. Uh, he believes anyone can turn their life around. And um, he was given a rough and a tough wake-up call on Rich House, Poor House. This was a programme on TV where father of four, Mark Harvey, he's 34 by the way, grew up in a council house before joining his dad's building farm and branching out into IT sales, eventually amassing a, f a large enough fortune to buy up a multi-million pound property portfolio. He lives in an eight-bedroom mansion in Burton-on-Trent, Derbyshire, with his wife Nikki, daughters Courtney, 12, Selena Rue, 6, and Freya, 4, and son Theo, who's only just been born. However, he was shocked by how difficult it can be to change his circumstances when he swapped lives with a single mother of two and a part-time carer, Billy Thompson, who lives in a three-bedroom council house in Nottingham. Mark has a disposable of income of £1,750 a week, struggled when he learned part-time carer Billy has just £52 a week to feed her daughter. Um, all the names given, of course, by the end of the Channel 5 experiment, he could see how difficult it was for someone to make a change in their life uh, when, like Billy, they had to care for others and offered to help her make a, f a lasting improvement to her situation at the start of the week. Billy was £16,000 in debt and was studying joinery in the hope of one day starting an all-female company. OK, you've seen these type of programmes, I'm sure. Um, what's your take on what um, that story is about? I mean, anybody who makes good of themselves, a lot of people get jealous about the money. Nobody's giving them. He's come from a council estate. He's earned his money. He's gambled, you know, he's, he's took a, a gamble and it's paid off for him and it, and it's great. Now, the, the other side, the, the, the girl who were in, um, in the council house, it, when I got divorced in 85, I think it were, right, I had to pay maintenance. You know, uh, everything, they said they've only got 52 quid. Well, where's, where's the father of the kids paying for, you know, for their upkeep of the kids? It just doesn't seem to happen now. Everybody just goes on to these benefits and that seems okay. You know, but for anybody who's made made their money through, you know, as long as they're not fiddling everybody and this and the other, and he's made it from a council estate into a multi-million pound, you know, going concern, every credit to him. And now she's trying to do the same. And hopefully she'll take whatever advice is given, you know, and, and, and they make a success of it themselves then, and then maybe they can pass on that news to somebody else who's in the same boat as them. You know, you want to see people g get on with life instead of just lolling about all day, having their hair done, their makeup done, the this, that, and the other, and it's all done on benefits. You know, that, when, that's what you should be having a look at. When you look at these TV programmes, you don't really need a TV show to explain to you that if you've got £1,750 to spend for the week and somebody's got £52 to manage on, um, I mean, your own common sense tells you you're not going to be able to do that. If, you, if you're used to that sort of money, um, whatever the experiment might be, that's only for a couple of days or a week or something. So, you know, yeah. uh, for the sake of the cameras, yet he can sit down and have maybe a stone-cold sandwich and a bowl of soup or something like that, which probably... Um, a people without much money have got to do but um you know uh obviously if she does his side of the business and ends up with one seven one thousand seven hundred and fifty to live on for the week um i mean you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that there's a hell of a difference and one can manage much easier with one thousand seven hundred and fifty pounds doesn't matter where you come from if you come from uh, the lowest of the low uh, not meaning any disrespect to people who haven't got anything because that's tough um but i mean if you've got money then you can do what you like. And really, these programmes uh, are all interesting, but really, do they do any, can they help anybody? Because I don't think they can. Well, I mean, the, the, 
everything's done for the camera, isn't it? But, I mean, it's like me and you. You've got over 2,000 uh, a month, you know, a week to, to spend, and now I've only got 50 quid. But, you know, I make the best of it. This, this, by the way, for our listeners, let me point out that Neil is the one that plays golf every week, and I can't remember the last time I played golf. Um, all joking aside... You know, uh, you only need to walk down. You don't need to do anything, really, to know that if you walk down the road and you see a top-of-the-range car, you're seeing top-of-the-range money. The only way that you won't see it is maybe if somebody is living on tick and uh, just running bills up that they eventually will have to pay. But if you have the reality of any situation where you're on a low wage and you've got kids and your husband's run out on you, um, you're going to find life very, very difficult. And really? I've, I've just come back from going to the south of France uh, and the north of Spain, where the numbers of travellers, people going out, eating and, you know, enjoying themselves and the, the amount of traffic on the road. It's horrendous, Neil. I mean, seriously, um, OK, y- you know, if people want to live like that, I hate August with a with a bit of a you know a, a bit of a bang, I really don't like being around that many people, and seeing all that money spent on uh, things that, if you got the people who've got nothing, obviously they would love to just pick up the crumbs half the time, but you're not going to change the world, are you? You know, without being Mother Teresa and deciding that you're going to put a habit on and change everybody else's habits, I don't see how that really becomes very helpful via a TV show. Exactly. I mean, they do it for this effect, don't they? they? Them that have and them that haven't. You know, and sometimes you'll never change them that haven't because they just they just plod along. They've got no get up and go or... They've got no idea that you know, you know, how to sort money out. But they'll still go out and have their eyebrows done. You know, if if they get a night out with the money, they'll they'll go with their eyebrows done, their extensions in, the the things in the lips that pump up the lips and this that and the other. But I mean, we've we've we have the same, don't we, here in Benidorm, as you know. In and I know it sounds crazy, this, but all the Spanish arrive in Benidorm, thousands of them, don't they? You, do. you can't park within a mile of, of Benidorm itself, you know, you, and and you never see them out spending any money in in the bars and you know and, and the restaurants. What they do, they make their they, they just get their own beer from the bodegas and sit on the verandas and eat the the, the paellas or whatever it is they're having, and you never see them out and about. You only see them on the beach and then up in up in wherever they stay. You know, it, it, but it's it's absolutely rammed. You can't you can't move. Soon as September comes and that humidity dies and the sun's still out and it's beautiful and they've all gone home, Benidorm livens up again. Yeah, I must admit it's very similar to when we were in Cornwall. You know, New Quay, absolutely yeah. packed to the rafters. Thirty uh, first of August, the, the next day you get up and you think, where's everybody gone to? Okay, I'll bring yeah. up the next one then. So stand by. Okay, just a reminder to our listeners, I'm talking with Neil Colborne and we're looking at items in the news. Anybody can read it, but sometimes maybe we don't interpret the same as I'm looking at an Avanti West Coast employee. Now, this guy slammed those taking part in this weekend's rail strikes in the UK, saying the pay and the work are already good and he didn't think it was right to join in. There was fresh woe for rail passengers again, that was today, uh, when this particular article was written, as tens of thousands of train workers went on strike again in the long-running dispute over pay, jobs and conditions. But one train worker told Sky News he thought his colleague's strike wasn't fair to the public and that those still going into work had to pick up their slack. Uh, A commenter picked up um, from Cable Street, United Kingdom, 
After several months, the right-wing media have managed to find a single employee of the 115,000 employed by the train companies to slam the strike. I note that there is no information about his name or what he does apart from his uh, lanyard that says retailer, which is pretty easy. And let's face it, an irrelevant job. Okay. Um, I don't think it's easy for anybody who is working in a, a an industry which is run by the unions uh, to actually criticise the unions because you know damn well what's going to happen, don't you? Oh yeah, you'll be called a scab, and then you, you know, you, you you'll be arrested out, out of a job, you know. But I mean, it was only the other week that somebody came on as uh, one of union men and said that the train drivers are on fifty thousand a year basic, and don't forget they only do four days and part of this strike is that they won't they, allegedly they don't want to work on the on the days off when they can work even more so that takes you 50 grand up to nearly about eighty thousand or something like that but you know what's happening every time the unions get involved right out brothers out all this it, it ruined out half of our uh, um um the, the motor the motor industry in UK and a lot of other you know industries through unions coming on you know where the big boys here eventually the the, the the public all them that are suffering that they can't get here to there and this that and the other on a train because they might not be able to drive or anything they'll just turn against them you know it's it, it, it's if you can't sit round a table and sort some out they, they're after like. Oh, well, uh, inflation's at 12%, 13%, but we want 14, 14 and a half, so that it's like a, the equivalent of a pay rise. What about the people that are on dole, you know, or people that are just in a set job that they're quite happy with and this, that and the other? I, I don't believe that 150,000 of them, uh, they've never put one to a vote for this ASLEP and, and the other union that's, that are on it, Unite or wherever they are. They've never put it to them. Would you accept 11%, 10%, whatever it is? No, they just say, no, we're not having it. But let me tell you, every every one of them uh, union leaders, they'll still be getting paid every single day. That's the trouble with that. And they'll be living in the great big houses, and these are at the bottom of the line trying to get a few quid extra, right? Or be living in just two beds, two ups, two downs, or whatever. It's the, the unions need stamping on. Well, Everything we're running nice and bonny after we, we'd had... I mean, we had them three-day three, three day weeks, didn't we? We know lights and God knows what and this, that and the other. We've been through all this. But once the unions start taking over all these all these things, you know, like the, the transport and everything else, then it just goes downhill and downhill, no matter who's in. You know, Labour, Tories, Lib Dems, whatever. Neil, I'll tell you what I think's happening. I'm almost 100% certain in my own mind from what I'm reading and from what I'm listening to people talking about, etc. I think the Chinese and the Russians are behind all this. It's the communists that are behind this. Okay, um, they're not going to put a flag up and uh, all stand making sure everybody realises it's them. But I think if you look around all the different problems, so you've got all these different unions, why should they all go on strike at the same time? You know, uh, you've got the airline pilots, you've got the um, the rail strike, you've got the um, the, the barristers now going bus, on strike. Yeah, bu- bus strikes, there have been bus strikes all over the place. So, you know, the the, the, the pattern is pretty obvious to me. Then you look at the headlines in the paper and you see the thing that's running alongside it. So things like energy bills could hit £6,552 in April. Latest eye-watering forecast lifts price cap to more than three times the current £1,971 a year limit as EDF boss warns of catastrophic crisis. But number 10 insists UK does not face blackouts. I mean, you know, um, the, the the Australians are just delivering gas to the UK. I was reading that in the paper today. The thing is, there's so much going on in the background that you really think to yourself, who is actually doing most of 
the scaremongering. Don't forget, we've, um, you know, we've now got the the waters not available again to people. You know, it's it's almost like the constant message is to scare the living daylights out of people one way or the other. That's what it seems to be for me. What do you think? Yeah, you're, you're right there. I'm 100% with you there. These left-wing unionists, you know, the, the, you know, m- most of them, uh, you know, hey, brother, hey, you know, all communism and all this lot coming in, all the leaders follow, you know, go under the red flag and this, that and the other, you know, but it's not them that suffer. It's the workers that suffer. They're saying we're, we're looking after our, uh, uh, after our workers, you know, and our colleagues and our brothers and this, that and the other. Well, as soon as somebody gets an offer, then you put it to the, the 150,000 that's on strike and let them decide. But don't you keep bombarding them, like you know, like as I say, I were a union man and and this that, and the other, you know, I were a shop steward in, in chloride, chloride batteries. But the minute that our works convener, who were you know a massive left wing, he starts swinging it to entirely opposite to what everybody there were, were, were saying. No, no, we we were quite happy with a three percent rise or a one and a half percent or a four percent, whatever it were. But he was trying to say no. Well, we're not taking a vote on that. Well, just hang on a minute. Take a vote on whether we should take a vote. You know, you stand up and... and, and I mean, I got slated for it when I had to go to one of shop stewards' meetings for it. But, well, who, who are you as one person telling 4,500 workers that were then at Chloride that we, we, we're not taking a vote on it? That's your job to come and tell us this is what they've offered you. Now, it's up to you lot whether you're happy with that. If you're not, We'll go in and sell them and then try for more money. No, don't just say, no, we're not having it and you lot are not going to vote on it. That, that's what gets me with all these unions now. You know, they're well, all if, militants. If, well, if you go back, as you you and I both do, but, you know, if you go back to what was happening, certainly in the 70s, uh, you had... The, the unions were trying it on them. And it just so happened to be, again, at a time when it was very hot for everybody. And, you know, it's almost like they've sort of trying to recreate the perfect storm so that everybody gets fed up, fed up to the back teeth and everything is wrong. And so you've got to change your government and you've got to change your way of life. I mean, they have been trying everything, including all the transgender stuff. I think the whole thing is part of a jigsaw puzzle and you could put the whole lot together and see the picture if you really want to. That's the way I feel. I mean, you know, your red robos and people like that, they're just they're back in a different way, aren't they? Exactly. And, and Arthur Scargill, he sold the miners, you know, down the river. You know, and, and yet that were one of the worst jobs in the world. You know, going there was no way I were going down a pit. No, thank you. But, yeah, the Red Robos with the, um, with the motor industries and this, that and the other. If you, if you look back against it all, it all blows up in the face eventually. Well, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> their leader, Sir Keir Starmer, I mean, do me a favour... So he didn't throw his hat in as being a real militant. He's only doing that for a bit of show, mm-hmm. that he's going round to all these places. It's just for a bit of show, so he thinks that Labour will get in. And then he'll have, he'll, have, he'll have to give in to all the unions because the unions actually fund the Labour Party. Well, I mean, while all this is going on, I mean, you've got all these people who are basically striking... OK, maybe it's because the weather's nice and they don't get really the full picture of what they're being made to do in a roundabout sort of way. While they're doing that, uh, I see another one. Uh, it's getting increasingly difficult to breathe. Crying, severely asthmatic, eco-zealot protester hidden in tunnel tunnel under oil depot moans she has no vo- uh, choice to be there and insists she has to save her children's future. Now... I don't know whether these things are... I don't know whether these people are, I don't know, just round the bend. They usually tend to be educated. So who the hell's doing the educating and what are they being taught? I mean, you know, while all this other stuff's going on and the police need to be sort of at least accessible to stop all these... um, you know, strikers making it so difficult for everybody to just get about the normal daily business. What on yeah. earth are yeah. these you people see, going you, on about? You don't see many strikes when it's minus six, do you? 
and snowing, you know, and you're up to your ankles in snow. You never see these marches then, do you? And Sir Keir Starmer walking down some, you know, some nice, lovely street when it's snowing and minus about six. You know, do me a favour. And these eco-warriors, I just give up on them. There's not infrastructure for all this malarkey. It's same with the cars and uh, all, all. Yeah, all electric. They're all moaning now about the electric price, yeah? yeah. Oh, it's going to be 4000 or 5000 or this, that and the other. What's it going to be when everybody's plugging cars in? Well, Hang I mean, on a minute. Have you ever thought of that? Isn't it already putting the price up? I mean, if everybody is being encouraged to buy the electric cars and they're telling us every one in five new cars is now electric, doesn't that push the price of electricity up? Doesn't it make it difficult Obviously. for everybody? Everywhere, yeah, but you see what, what makes me laugh with these, well, I want to go eco and plug my car in a, in a plug and this, that and the other, right? It either comes from, um, you know, they, they don't want gas, they don't want electric, uh, sorry, they don't want uh, coal, they don't want nuclear power, they don't want normal power stations. Well, where are you going to plug all these in and where are you going to get enough electricity to plug it to plug in and every, everything, you know, just worked beautifully. And you think it's not going to go up by maybe another another, another 5,000, your electric bill? You know, yeah. they, they, make, they make me absolutely laugh. Nobody thinks about all that, where, we, where we're going to get it from. Well, you know, I think somebody has been thinking about it, and I think that's part of the problem. That's another little part of the jigsaw puzzle. I think if you put, like, you know, when you've got a jigsaw puzzle and you've got all the pieces, 500 pieces or whatever it is, and they're all over the show. But then when you start putting them all together, you see what really is going on. That's what I think is happening. OK, I've got another... Yeah, but, but hang on, just let me say, but, 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 but the leaders are unions and Labour and this, that and the other. They won't let you see that picture. No. Do no. they? They leave them all scattered. The, the minute some, somebody starts seeing a, a little picture of this uh, jigsaw puzzle coming on, they, they sort of knock the board off the table. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That, that, so they can... So they can shove every, all their own things on their own, you know, on the people. Yeah. All right, then. So um, I'll move on. And uh, here comes the next one. OK, Neil, our next story, then, is a female police officer who single-handedly faced off with a gang attacking a man like a pack of wild animals. Obviously, she's been commended for her bravery, and she's 48, and she stepped into the middle of the gang. Her name, by the way, is Claire Larkey-Jones. Stepped into the middle of the gang attack in Carnarvon in North Wales after spotting the commotion as she returned home. Now, she'd already done an 11-hour shift, and this was January the 3rd, and the victim was in his 20s, was being badly beaten before the mother of three pulled away the 19-year-old ringleader, Callum Lee Davis. She told the, the newspaper, I had just finished this shift and was picking my brother and his girlfriend up at the maze in Carnarvon before going home when I heard a lot of shouting. I told my brother to stay in the car and I walked over and a gang of lads were picking on a young man in his 20s. They were like a pack of wild animals and started beating him up. They they stopped when I came over, but then they started again. I just went on autopilot and got hold of the ringleader, shouted at them and pulled him off before they ran away, and then called the police and ambulance. The case was later heard before Mould Crown Court, in which it was revealed that PC Larkie Jones grabbed the ringleader while he was in a mid-punch the victim of the attack was taken to hospital with a three-centimetre cut to his face as well as bruising and swelling to his eye. She sounds like she's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, to step in when there's been a gang. Um, you and I have both probably been in situations where you've had to do things which were a bit dodgy. What do you think of that? What do you think of the, the, the bravery of that policewoman? Every credit to her. She deserves every honour that they give her. Uh, because, you see, they're all tough guys when they're going along in gangs. That's the trouble now. They're going along in gangs, they've got knives, they've got guns, they've got all sorts. We've heard it every day. Shootings in Liverpool, stabbings in Manchester, uh, in Altrincham, you know, 
uh, stabbings in London, shootings and all sorts. You no, know, it's, it's just ridiculous. I, I would have bet you anything, there'd, there'd be a lot of public nearby that just have to stand and watch because they think they're, they're all going to jump on them next. You know what I mean? And she stands straight in the middle, gets all the ringleader, every credit to her. What, yeah. a, what a great moment. I remember uh, many, many years ago, I was coming home from a gig in Liverpool and um, not far away from the Liverpool tunnel, I came round the corner in the car and there was a Bobby fighting with this uh, guy on the road and another fellow was, you know, just preparing to join in. So I stopped my car and I jumped over and, you know, I was going to help the Bobby, but the Bobby shouted to me, he said, no, don't, don't join in because the police have been called and they'll think you're part of it or something, you know. So, oh, right. you know, yeah. I, got, yeah. I did get back in my car because that was what he was telling me to do and it made sense the way he said it. But, you know, I think, um, I think in a general sense, it's like we were talking about these Bobbies, um, you know, c- policing the carnivals and, uh, you know, dancing. We were talking about that to start with. This is a completely and utterly uh, utter end of the spectrum, you know, where you've got a police officer on his or her own and you come across a question like that, that they've got to make a quick decision. Um, Brave or what? I just think some of these young bobbies are just fantastic. You know, I I really think... (laughs) When you look at these young thugs, um, they don't deserve any respect at all because they just really look around to see where they can pick anybody who's vulnerable that's what they go for isn't it oh yeah they, they won't go for one minute six foot six and about 19 stone solid muscle they won't jump on him oh no it's the big it's the bully boy thing and it's they're there in in a gang you know and, and then he'll come forward the leader of a gang and just start punching somebody knowing He's not likely to get punched back because if, if somebody starts fighting back, they'll all jump on him anyway. Yeah, they're just weaklings. Absolutely weaklings. And until we start putting people in prison for, for the sentences that they deserve, for knives and fighting and kicking people, punching them and they, they're head on the floor, and they're only getting two or three years, and this, that, it's a nonsense. No. How many times do we have to keep saying it? You know, the, the sentence doesn't, you know, doesn't, it doesn't want them what the, the crime that they've done. Yeah, they should be in for a lot longer until, until they learn the lesson. Well, I also picked up uh, chilling footage has captured the final moments, and this is a, a guy, a beloved, eighty-seven-year-old pensioner. You will probably will remember this, Thomas O'Halloran. Yeah. And he was killed yeah. in a botched robbery attempt after spending the afternoon. He was busking to raise money for the victims of war and clutching his blue charity box sprayed with yellow paint to represent the Ukraine flag. Mr. O'Halloran, uh, 87-year-old, was seen driving past a Tesco store um, in Greenford, West London, just minutes before he was brutally stabbed to death. Now, this CCTV footage shows the much-beloved busker uh, before he was seen begging for help after he'd been attacked in broad daylight in an alleyway next to the busy A40 Western Avenue in what is believed to be lawless London's 59th murder so far this year. Friends suspect the well-known community fundraiser was followed by someone in the run-up to the stabbing who'd been watching him collect his charity money that afternoon before launching their attack. I remember when I was 10 and I used to go and play football near to a, um, an estate and I remember they found a body in an old pillbox and it was called the pillbox murder and that was an absolutely it was a novel event somebody being murdered it never happened and this is 50 no. 57 murders in london alone what's going yeah. wrong well the, the, well as we've said it way before you know there's no respect for police for anybody you know they, they, <coughs> these no i'm it was on Facebook about this old this old guy who plays plays his squeeze box and this that, and the other for charity and all that, and it does say, and now I I don't know whether this is true or not, but they said it was a black uh, uh, coloured person 
that, that stabbed him. Now, they don't make a big hoo-ah about that, and there's also black-on-black killings in London. Loads of them. But it's never, it's never put out as anything like that. It just comes on the news and says, oh, a man who was uh, playing the squeeze box for charity got stabbed. That's it. And a man has been arrested. And that's all you hear about it. You know what I mean? How ridiculous is that? An 87-year-old man who's uh, letting people enjoy themselves listening to him, well, he might not have been that good at playing or whatever. You know, but it, it's there because and people are giving him money to help the people of Ukraine or wherever it is that he was supporting. And then somebody just walks up and stabs him. I mean, yeah, and he'll it, 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 go into one of these mental homes for about two or three years and they'll say, oh, he's all right, but come out again then. You know what I mean? It, they make me laugh or they'll give him a five-year or ten-year sentence, which means five, with good behaviour, it's three. So it, this is what we keep saying about the punishment and the crime. It just, it just doesn't get... You know, it just doesn't equal itself out. But I think, you see, I think there are connections all over the show. We talk about the jigsaw puzzle. And I was saying at the, you know, the beginning of our podcast about the police dancing with the people down at these parades. Now, you know, I remember whenever I walked past the policeman, you were always on edge. I mean, still, if I'm driving my car home, and I've got I've done nothing wrong. Yeah. And you know, the the Bobby's driving behind you, you think, Oh god, here we go, I'm gonna get stopped or something, yeah. you know. But at least I think the police um what would we do without the police? That I just think that it'd be like the Wild West, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well it's like the Wild West now and we've got police. But if we didn't have any but you see, these these lot if if one of them were in trouble They'd, they'd want, the first number they dial is for police. That's what makes me laugh. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, they're, they're all pigs and this, that and the other, and they're calling them there. But the minute they're in trouble, the first one they want is, one, is a policeman for coming help them. It you know, it's an absolute disgrace. And it starts at home and it starts when they're young. Yeah. You know, all, all police are pigs and this, that and the other. And, oh. Do me a favour. If, you, if you've not got any respect for the police, well, you know, and, and your parents and grandparents, then, you know, what, what's the world coming to? OK, I'll play a jingle and then we'll move on. You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Okay, so we know how hot it's been. It's been really, really, really hot. And a three-year-old boy died in a hot car after his father left him alone for 30 minutes to to drink tea with his brother. The toddler um, insisted on joining his dad on the outing, but by the time they arrived at the Turkish tea house on Monday, the little lad had fallen asleep. Not wanting to wake him, the father, 34, cracked open a window and parked the vehicle in the shade. What he said cracked open a window. Anyway, uh, when he returned half an hour later, the kid was dead. This is according to the mirror now. The car was no longer in the shade with the days blazing 37 degrees Celsius. The heat directed straight onto the vehicle and the paramedics were unable to revive the three-year-old after he was rushed to hospital. His distraught dad said, May God not let anyone experience this pain. The family, including his mother, a 28-year-old, had travelled to the southern city, Adona, for a wedding. OK, so that didn't actually happen in the UK. So I think we shall still comment on it because it's the news that's being reported in the UK, which is part and parcel of what we do. Um, and it is something that certainly here in Spain you do have to be very aware of when you park your car, don't you? Exactly. I mean, these people that leave dogs in cars, now you will not be prosecuted if you see a dog panting away in a, in a, in a car in red hot sun. 
if you smash the window and, and get the dog out and get it some water or whatever. But, I mean, I'm not being funny. A turkey would probably be hotter than where we are here, and we know how hot it is here. If you leave a little kid in because he's asleep, well, lift him out, take him down to, to the table and keep him on your knee. You know, in your hand, and if he stays asleep, he stays asleep. If he if he if he wakes up and he's a bit, you know, groggy and a bit, you know, uh, you know, crying, well, you can sort it out then. But to leave him in a car anyway, and forget that we were in a shed with a tree, it's still red hot. It's still forty degrees, isn't it? Well, you know, and then as soon as the blazing sun comes, it, it magnifies about four times. So, you know, you're he's looking at hundreds. You, you yeah. look, you're looking at that story and you're really not seeing a genuine excuse. It's almost like, you know, no. but, but having said that... I'll just go meet my brother for a drink, but I'll leave kid in care. Yeah, yeah. That, that type of thing, you know. Take him with you. That's why he wants you to come with you. So take him with you. If he dozed off, he dozed off. You pick him up and take him with you. And if he wakes up, well, he wants you to come with you anyway. Yeah. And, and then it leads to a horrendous, you know... Thing for family and and you know relatives and all that, you know that he's yeah. died in a car. Terrible. Do you know? Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. Okay, there's another very sad one. This is a, a young girl, 15, from Bampton in Oxfordshire. And she hanged herself on January the 17th after an upsetting Instagram post circulated around her school. This is according to the inquest and the details of the Instagram post were not revealed, but it was said to have included details of a past personal relationship that she'd had with a girl of the same age previously. Her father said that she had struggled with her mental health also previously. Well, you see... That is really neither here nor there. The school needs to get hold of all the phones and check and see who's done this. Because these are the kids who at the moment, are, are, there's some really horrible things happening from the TV and what they see on the TV and then what they do on their phones. Um, that, that is awful, that story, isn't it? You see, this Wi-Fi, as I said before, well, you know, I'm a technophobe anyway, so but it's a, it's a great thing that you can, you know, you can speak to somebody in Australia or in, from here to UK and you can FaceTime them as though you sat with them and this, that and the other, but it's the dark side. There's TikTok and uh, Instagram, as you say, and this, that and the other, and these trolls put all kinds of, you know, it's like, it's like bullying, but not face-to-face bullying. They put it on, you know, and it might be true, it might not be true, or whatever. And they're just trying to, you know, force people. I mean, like that, them three fathers that walk that 300 miles, their daughters all, all committed suicide. No, you need, you need to talk to you, especially now. I mean, at one time, you used to talk to kids when they were like five and six. You don't do that. You do this. You don't do, you know. Now, you've got to talk to them and say, is something bothering you? Is somebody, you know, bullying you on, on Facebook or TikTok or whatever they are? Right? And, and, and parents now have got, have got to really take, you know, it shouldn't be like that. They should be carefree. Either at school, yeah, you get into the odd scrap and this, that and the other, and you have a bit of a fight and or one of your friends falls out with you and you're a bit depressed about that and this, that and the other. But you need to talk to them. I think parents really need to talk to them. And, and if... If the one is a girl and, he, you know, they think, I can't tell me dad, of course you can tell your dad. He's not going to, he's not going to say to you, oh, you shouldn't be doing this, and you, you know what I mean? Or, or talk to your mum, you know, and ask her. I but think... It, it's, it's, it's happening too often now, this, and a lot of it is all through on that internet thing or whatever it's called. I didn't grow up with a phone. You know, it was a treat to go out and use the phone. And unfortunately, you know, too many parents think that they just let the kids have the phone and that's the end of the story. Yeah. And it isn't because it's the beginning of the problem because you don't know what the access is to their knowledge. And children have got ages and stages. Sometimes, like all of us, by the way, you know, sometimes if you get the information too quickly, you don't understand it and you react differently to when you do understand it. 
So I, I must be honest, I don't like to see kids with telephones and I hate to see a young kid sitting in a pram with a phone in front of them. I think that really is not, it's not good well, parenting. Okay. Yeah, they put a game on, don't they? And Because it, it'll keep the kid quiet, you know. But, I mean, we remember, I've just got to phone my mate see what, what, where we're playing football at. I had to walk about 500 yards with a big red box, four old pennies in. If he answered, I pressed button A. If he didn't answer, I pressed button B and got my money back. That's how old I am. I am. You know? Well, in fact, I'm a bit older on Thursday, Anna, as you Ooh, well know. Of course, your birthday, isn't it? Okay, well, happy birthday for Thursday, before I forget. No, no problem. Okay, we'll go well, next. What I'm saying is that, 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 were, that were a treat for us, borrowing four pennies to go and see, you know, your mates in house, or, you know, you might have already gone. Well, if they didn't answer, you just press button B and you got your money back anyway. So it was brilliant. And now they're walking around with them at two, three, four, five, six, whatever. But that's the problem, yeah. Neil. The problem is really, yeah. we grew up at the right age in the right way and in the, in the right speed. You know, kids of 13 and 14 are now expecting to know the things that we didn't know till we were 16, 17 and 18. And they're not ready for it. Exactly. And this, te- this television and uh, this telephone and the, the internet doesn't really help. I've got another story which is um, about the married police inspector. Now, you expect... A police inspector. Again, and you know, we've, we've got a theme with the police today, but, you know, when you find a police inspector and he's got indecent images of children and he's tried to meet kids for sex online and uh, what does he get fined or does he get jailed? Two and a half years. So we now know that John Nichols, who's a 51-year-old, trawled the chat rooms for potential victims telling one user he wanted to meet his daughters for sex. The depraved Bedfordshire police officer also wrote in a conversation with another user that he liked young girls. So do they honestly want to tell me that two and a half years is going to solve this? Because it isn't. Because they're going to say one one and a quarter years straight away. So, you know, 15 months of being maybe without... No, in fact, he probably won't be without his phone because he'll be in, in jail with his phone. That's not going to solve well, the problem. Well, you'll have a laptop and they'll be doing all that. And whether they got 10 years or 12 years or 15 years or whatever, that'll not change the thought of the minute that he sees, you know, if he sees another uh, young girl or whatever, mm. you know, he'll be, he'll be onto them or he'll go into these dark rooms or, you know, or whatever it's called. You know what I mean? So... Well, you know, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, he'll probably get his job back, by the way. That won't surprise me neither. Well, I mean, that would be disgusting if he did. But um, I'm looking at, again, police and social services repeatedly failed to protect an eight-week-old baby girl, violently murdered by her father, who just happens to be a thug. And the coroner, uh, the coroner has found that the baby was killed by this 39-year-old who's now serving a life sentence with a minimum of 20 years before he can be considered for parole. Now, if he's 39 now, say 20 years, you know, we have another couple of lefty softies who've not got the, the guts to keep these people in jail and away from people, he's only 59. And um, the, 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 the injuries he caused this little baby... Uh, a fractured skull in at least three separate assaults before smothering her at their home in um, near Bedford. But, you see, if you've got that in you, I don't honestly think that you're ever going to change. I really think that people are deluding themselves. If a person can kill a baby at the age of 30, which he nearly is now, uh, 20 years of planning his next one is not going to stop him, is it? No. No. These paedophiles, I mean, to be honest, this has been going on for years, but, you know, now more more people are into it and they see, you know, where they're coming from and this, that and the other. But, I mean, it it sickens me that you've got to be phoning people up or 
you know, uh, pretending you're only 17 or 18 and you, you're 51 or whatever it is, uh, to go and meet up with, with a young girl and this, that and the other. I think it's disgusting, if, if I'm being honest. You know. Well. And, and as, it, we're here again with, with punishment and, and crime, you know. It's, it's it, just, it, it just doesn't work. No, it sickens me as well. I'm looking at a three-year-old boy. He's been hospitalised after he was struck by a mobility scooter. He was out with his grandmother and the toddler was hit around 3pm in Western Supermare outside um, Betfred on Boulevard, uh, whatever the police uh, have given the name of the place. But anyway... He's expected to make a full recovery. Police have launched a manhunt for the driver of the grey-silver coloured mobility scooter who they described as a white man with grey hair of large build and in his 60s. Now, isn't it funny that they can get, and they should do, but they've, get, they've given the description of that man, um, you know, because basically if you couldn't find that guy who must be somewhere yeah. near Betfred's office... If you couldn't find him, you'd not be much of a bobby, would you? Well, you, you, you've only got about two and a half miles, have your radius, but have a look at. And he's not going to be wandering that far in a mobility scooter, is he? So it's, it's somewhere very local. You know you know what I mean? Well, I mean, then they the kill kiddies as well. They should never come out. So I like saying, yeah, they get live. And then and then all of a sudden, you wait and it says, oh, um, and he must serve a minimum of 12 years. Sorry? No, it shouldn't be coming out. Simple. You know, we've had baby B, and it goes on and on and on, and there are probably social services involved that have not seen anything, anything like it. But nobody ever gets sacked from their job. They're not doing their job. You know, they make me ill when they keep talking about these babies getting killed and, and toddlers and this, that and the other. Oh, do me a favour. What do you think about these energy bills? Because, you know, they're trying to um, frighten the life out of everybody. We've got a couple of minutes left on the podcast. I'm just looking at, you know, the, the, the horrific amount of money they are threatening that will come to everybody. And yet all these companies are still making their profits and I also, um, I also read that um, Australia delivered a tanker full of gas to the UK um, for the first time since a long time ago. I wasn't aware they had been ever delivering gas to the UK. Had you? No. I, I mean, years ago, we just got it from North Sea, didn't we? It was marvellous. Just, yeah, just go out on your ball and fetch it back in for us all. Nah. This, I'll tell you what it's doing. It's got everybody now absolutely, as you said, frightened to death about anything. And then all of a sudden, the price will just drop, bang, and everybody go, oh, well done, whoever it is. I mean, she's, she's thinking of that list trust. She's thinking of giving people uh, a, a, a tax, a, uh, you know, a, a tax cut. Well, that, that doesn't affect, you know, them millionaires, does it? It doesn't matter what, how much their bill goes up. No, it should be. If you're going to give a tax cut, say, on people, under, say, 20,000 or 30,000 or 25,000 or, or whatever, you know, whatever the, the thing is where the people that need it. Really, millionaires don't need that good. You know, they're probably fiddling enough of it anyway and they're probably offshore. I don't so, know why they don't... You know, come up. I don't know well, why they don't just tax the profits and say you're not going to be allowed well, exactly. to make those profits. Exactly. I mean, they're making 30-odd billion in the first three months. Hang on a minute. And they can't shell some out for help people that can't turn the gas on. And when winter comes, and all people which suffer from it, you know, worse, and you see, because they're all that, like me and you, you know, they want to pay the bill, and they'll, they'll go without food and everything. You'll probably find people who have, have died of starvation in their own house because they were trying to put an electric on or gas fire on or whatever. You need to work it out where it equalises some of these people out. But as you say, taxing these companies, fine. Get it taxed, get it sorted. Yeah. Because I'll tell you something else, too. These hurdy-gurdies, they won't su supply enough electric, and neither will them, them uh, bits of glass that you put on your roof. That won't happen, neither. No. 
All right, Neil. Well, that's about it for this week. And obviously, um, look forward to the next one. Stay safe. Don't get too hot. And uh, look forward to speaking next week. Thanks, Neil. No problem. Cheers, Vince. Thank you, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.